Well, you can all be seated. I wonder, I think it's important that we ought to wonder, is that your prayer this morning? Do you need Jesus this morning? Do you see a need for Jesus? The beauty of the gospel is that even, even when our need and our desire for him wanes, his love, his call burns all the more. And when we seek him, we will find him whether we are in a storm, whether we are in calm, whether we are in strife or stability. Today we are going to witness another miracle of Jesus, and we will get an intimate look at the life of a disciple we will get an intimate look of what, it, what it's like to journey through trial, to have our faith tested. We are going to see this most acutely through the person of Peter in our passage today. So welcome, friends. It's good to see all of you here. I think I know everybody here. Um, so as your pastor and your brother, it's, a, it's just such a great honor and a privilege to open up the Word of God with you. We are doing this together as the body of Christ, and this is for the next uh, 25 minutes or so, we are going to be worshiping our God through learning about Him and what the Scriptures teach Now, Matthew, in chapter 14, we're going to be in uh, verses 22 through 23, Matthew is very explicit with his words this morning. This is a miracle, yes, but it's a different type of scene. This is a story, yes, about a miracle, but it's also a story about faith and worship in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship. This story teaches us as it taught the disciples as it was happening 2,000 years ago. It teaches us through the act of Peter what can happen when our faith is tested. So our big idea this morning will be on the screen behind me. Our big idea this morning is that when our faith is exercised through trial, we see more clearly who Jesus is. And the result is worship. So the disciples have been following Jesus for quite some time now. They have left careers. They have left families. They have left comforts to follow Jesus. In Matthew 10, we see how Jesus specifically gives a calling and a charge to these men who tells him to go and to exercise demons and to, and to heal the sick and to make the blind see and to usher in and bring in the kingdom of God. However, if you look closely, we don't see an instance yet, until today, where the disciples whole-scale believed in God, or at least acknowledged him. We don't see any instances of clear worship. 
Now we see situations where people were being healed and where the people that were witnessing those miracles, they marveled at Jesus. They were amazed by him. There was actually even a few individuals that did, we hear they did worship and call Jesus the Son of God. But for some reason, we don't see this explicitly shown in the disciples' lives. Even though they had been following Jesus and probably had a great deal of faith in Jesus, we don't see them acknowledge Jesus' deity and who he really was. There may have still been a lack of understanding there. So here's a good example. If we look back a couple chapters uh, in chapter 8, we will find a similar story where the disciples were caught in a storm. Similar than our story today. So Matthew 8, 23 to 27, you can follow along with me if you'd like. Um, It says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up and saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? O you of little faith. And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. So they, they marveled. They knew that what had happened was miraculous, but we don't read that they really put two and two together. They were stunned and they were amazed. They were amazed. So, he doesn't say that they acknowledged his deity. So in light of all of this, as we approach today's passage, we will see, again, we will see something different today. In nearly all of the miracles and the encounters of Jesus with the disciples, we see that Jesus is with them. In this story, he sends the twelve ahead and stays back to pray. of Galilee... Now, although he sent them into a place of darkness and a place of confusion and a place of trial, we know that Jesus was not, they were not out of Jesus' will, that Jesus had an eye on them. He knew what was happening. Nonetheless, he sent them ahead. So that brings us to today's passage. Let's read chapter 14. Verses 22 through 23. You can follow along in your Bibles or you can follow the screen. So here we go. Verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him. Himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the boat. So he said, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Big difference here. So, let us pray as we get going here. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom through your word, not through, any of, not through any of our own findings or our own thoughts, but we want to be filled by your Holy Spirit uh, to, to be taught new things, to see you jump out of the page into our lives. Pray that you would strengthen our faith and you would show us where we need to depend more heavily on you. Let us be humble now. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So, faith tested in trial. The disciples are out in a lake, traveling across it, and they are struggling because there's a strong wind. And they, uh, these early boats, they had a small sail to take advantage of the winds, but they were rowing all night because the wind was, as Matthew says, the wind was against them. These are seasoned fishermen used to being on the water. So think of this boat as similar to a modern canoe, or if those of you who know what an Adirondack guide boat looks like, similar to that, the side, so kind of a narrow shape, and the sides are very low to the water, so it would have been easy to cast nets out and pull the fish back up, okay? It would not have taken much for the wind and the waves to disturb this boat, have you ever been out in the elements? Have you ever been out in a boat in the wind and the waves and experienced something similar to this? It's horrible. <laughs> it drains every ounce of energy from your body. Now, those of you who know me know that I'm an avid outdoorsman, but I hate paddle sports. Hate paddle sports. Forgive me for those of you who are all about paddling. I hate paddle sports. So early on in our marriage, Jessamine and I, we were up at our camp at Racket Lake, and we, we decided to go for this paddle and to this point of land, which is, it wasn't that far away, but we got there, and it was all nice. We had a great time. But then when we went to leave, we faced this strong headwind. Now, the Racket Lake is a pretty big lake, and we were getting pummeled by wind and waves, and it was horrible. And we got back to the dock, and we said, we are never going to do that again. We were just trying to have some fun. Um, and that was even before kids. So, but anyway, um, I, don't, I don't want to get too down on boats. I love boats, just with steering wheels and at 20 miles an hour. But I had a bad experience where I felt completely helpless, completely drained, and so completely frustrated. If you've ever been in that experience and had nature itself wage war against you, it's intimidating. It's what we would call a trial. Jesus had knowingly sent these men into a place where they were going to have to struggle. He knew there would be wind. 
Now, on top of all this, if we remember what just happened, if we remember to read the Bible with linear thought, okay, what just happened is these disciples had just finished feeding 10,000 people on the hillside. These guys were tired, they were probably stressed, and probably just wanted to rest. But in their need, Jesus sees and pursues. And I think it's such a beautiful picture that before they even cried out, maybe they were, we don't know, but before they even cried out, Jesus saw and Jesus came towards them and defied the laws of nature to do so. What a beautiful picture. So Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., which is um, not a happy time of the night. Don't like that time of night. Um, But after being beaten by the wind and the waves and the dark, you have to have a little sympathy for their reaction when they saw Jesus. If you're in the dark for a long period of time, your brain starts playing tricks on you. And they saw Jesus and they said, it's a ghost. Now, there was also an ancient belief back then that that the dead, people who died, would haunt the waters. Ancient ancient Jews did not like water. They weren't like like the uh, seafaring Phoenicians that we read about. They did lakes and smaller things. They did not like the water. This was a haunting, difficult place for them to be. But Jesus comes into this scene and he speaks his word over them and he says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, really important here. When Jesus says, it is I, what Jesus is really saying, and if we knew Hebrew and Greek, we would, know, we would figure this out quicker, but what Jesus is really saying is, I am the God. I am the I am God. It's the same way that God said I am in Exodus 3 when he's talking to Moses in the burning bush. And he's sending Moses, and Moses says, well, who should I tell, who, who, what, what, who should I tell is sending me? And he says, tell them I am is sending me to you. Do you see what Matthew's doing here? He's helping us connect the dots. When Jesus says, take heart, it is I, he is declaring his deity of being the God, the Messiah, the king of God's kingdom. Now, even the symbolism of him walking on water, even the manner at which he decides to perform a miracle is speaking volumes of truth about who he is. He's making Old Testament connections. So he's using um, revelations of who God, was, uh, who, who God was said to be in the Old Testament, which these disciples would have known this scripture and they would have seen what he was doing, and he, they would have made some connections. So Job 9, 6 to 8 says, um, th- says this about God. It says, He who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Psalm 77, uh, verse 19 says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. 
walking on the water. Isaiah 43, 15 says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a pathway in the mighty waters. Do you see what Matthew's doing here? It's beautiful. It's clear that in the center of this trial that the disciples have found themselves in, Jesus uses this trial to declare his divinity. And for the disciples, the clarity of who Jesus is doesn't come on the hillside after 10,000 people have been healed, uh, have, been, have been fed, but it happens here in this windy, dark crucible. Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. It's going to be on the screen uh, uh, behind me. But um, write this down, that it is in the trial that our faith is tested where we learn deeper who our God is. It is in the trial where our faith is tested, where we learn deeper who God is. Might we be seeing now why Jesus chose to send the 12 ahead? This is different. We've not seen this yet. He sends the 12 out ahead of him. They were out of their comfort zones. They were out of their elements. They were out in the open and exposed. It is here that our faith is built up. It is here that our faith is strengthened. And as a Christian, this is one of the main ways in which we grow and learn. And Jesus knew this. Okay, so think a moment about yourself. Not in a condemning way, not in a self-deprecating way, but really take, let's take a second and let's examine how often we come up against the, the, the trials and tribulations of this life. How often those things lie in our path, but how often we choose the other path. We walk in the other direction. We close the door. We hang up the phone. We insulate ourselves from the hard trials of life. There can be at times a driving force in you and I that much prefers the safety and the comfort of the shore. And if that's you today, you are not alone. Your pastor is there with you. There are many times I would much rather stay on the shore. However, if we believe what the scriptures are teaching us this morning, if we believe that Jesus puts us, lovingly, puts us in situations of trial to grow us, then we must believe him when he says, fear not. It is I. The I am God is telling us, don't fear. I am here with you. 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul writes, No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. I encourage you to believe these truths this morning. 
Do we trust Jesus enough to follow him into such trials, or do we stay on the shore? Do we have the faith that we're going to be carried through, or do we avoid those situations? Do we avoid the interaction with, let's say, a homeless person on the street? Do we change the subject when you're having a conversation with a coworker that might be leading to him asking about your faith? Are you basing big family decisions mostly on money and safety and comfort? No, but meanwhile, knowing that maybe God has something other for, other for you. Let's not forget that there are trials in life that also look like the slow dribble-drabble of the everyday nine-to-five. Sometimes being faithful in the simple things of life seem like a storm. What if storms of life look like caring for the little people in your own home and doing it again day after day? Mundane, thankless, Please hear me that I'm not saying, okay, I'm not saying that in order to be in the will of God means that you have to be miserable and uncomfortable and poor and destitute. That is not what I am saying. But what I am saying is that it is crystal clear to me in this text that in the trial that the disciples were called into, in the crucible, in that very moment, this is what pushed them towards more clarity of who God was and more closeness with their Savior. Do we desire closeness with Jesus? I think we, in our best days, we would say yes, but I also think that much of the time, our smaller version of Jesus that fits our affinities and our calendars and our desires is much smaller than Jesus who wants to reveal himself to you. We at times have a pocket-sized Jesus or a glove-box-sized Jesus that we can access when we need him, not the God, the I am Jesus that is there for us, that wants us to see and know and encounter him in all of his glory. We're seeing this this morning, that finally the disciples, through the trial, they got it. So be encouraged when we follow by faith, When we step out, we are given the strength to do even the impossible. Do you believe that this morning? So, spotlight on Peter now. I love this guy. He's one of my favorites. Don't give Peter a hard time. He's he's like a lot like you and I, okay? And he really loves Jesus. So, Spotlight is on him now. Um, I kind of alluded to this, but sometimes we view this passage, traditionally we view this passage as bad Peter, no faith, you're a crazy zealot, and you're never doing anything right, okay? I think that there's, um, I, I definitely think there's credibility and there's application there of seeing how Peter's faith lacked in this situation, but I want us to be encouraged by Peter's faith this morning. I want us to look at Peter's faith and say, Wow, 
Because I think there's a lot there. So let's pick up in verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. So what Peter's really saying is when, 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 when Jesus says, it is I, Peter said, okay, well, if, 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 if it is the I am God, if it, if it is you, call to me, I will come to you. Peter's acknowledging what Jesus said and said, I want some of that. I'm going to follow you. I love Peter's faith here. Faith being exercised, faith in action, faith being tested in a storm. But he only gets so far. We're not sure how far he got. I don't think that matters. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, the story would have been a lot different had Peter made the whole way, right? I mean, think about that for a minute. If Peter had got out of the boat and sprinted across the water like a basilisk, those lizards, you know, the, um, no, no uh, Wildcrats fans in here? Okay, yeah, Nehemiah's got it. He's got it. Um, so if he had sprinted across the water to Jesus, the disciples, I'm pretty sure, it's all speculation here, uh, but the disciples may have been like, wow, Peter! That was amazing. You walked across the water. And the eyes might have been turned more to Peter and less on Jesus. Think about that for a moment. This is the part of the story where Peter usually gets the flack, but I think it's the piece of the story that's the most encouraging. Because it involves Jesus once again saving Peter. Now the wind and the waves and the dark night causes Peter's faith to wobble. But look, having been brought to a place where he had the faith to step out, the guy got out of the boat, nobody else got out of the boat. The guy had enough faith in his Savior to get out of the boat so that when he got afraid, who did he call to? Lord, save me. We will find, friends, in times of acting out in faith that we will go to places and do things that we never thought were possible. But as long as we live in this broken world that's not perfect yet, there will be times of struggle and there will be times of doubt. The great British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, in talking about this very instant in this story, said this, these beautiful words. Spurgeon says, quote, Peter was nearer his Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. So be encouraged. Do not be afraid of the trial. Because guess what? you very well will most likely have times of sinking. 
and struggle. But in those times, Jesus is all the nearer to you. Sinking sometimes is part of the journey. Not always. But expect, expect the enemies of Jesus in this world to be speaking lies to you, to be, to, to be speaking discouragement to you as you journey after Jesus. And in those times of doubt, call out to your Savior. He is there. And in those times that we lack faith, in those times that we fall, Jesus picks us up, but he redirects us as he did Peter. Peter needed some redirection. I think we all need some redirection most of the time. And remember, Jesus says, you of little faith. He didn't say, Peter, you have no faith. What are you doing? He said, you of little faith. Now, what does Jesus tell us other, other places in the Gospels? What does he tell us about people that have even a little faith? If you have even the faith of a mustard seed, you can do what? You can move mountains. Peter had some faith, but Peter lost sight for a moment. But Peter cried out to his God to save him. Peter knows and loves and trusts Jesus all the more because of this instance. So, Peter and Jesus get back on the boat, and the waves cease. Now, we come to the exclamation point of this story. More so than any other account of a miraculous event in Matthew thus far, this instance there is a clear switch that goes on in the disciples. They seem to get it. Even after all they have, all the miles they've traveled with Jesus, all the people that they've seen healed, all of the miraculous events that have happened, it seems as though now they understand. Verse 33, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped. Not because they had achieved something, not because 10,000 bellies had been filled, not because the blind saw or the lame walked. They worshipped because they saw Jesus for who he was and is. They saw the real Jesus, not the Jesus that they thought that they knew or they had come up with and that fit into their boxes, but the true Jesus, the Son of God, the I Am God. When we worship, we speak truths about God because we know that we don't know all the answers, but we have a book that speaks of him. And so we, so we read the truths of who God is and we make much of him and we worship him. Peter's faith to trust in Jesus, his faith to trust that he was who he said he was, in the midst of a storm, he got out of the boat, he tested his faith and it's partly because of Peter's act of faith that helped the rest of the disciples worship. You catch that? They got into the boat and they all worshipped. Here's another piece of encouragement for you this morning. 
we aren't always the ones to get off the boat. But so long as we journey with a group of Christians, like here at Terranova Church, we don't live in a vacuum. And there will be those in our lives that are stepping off boats and doing miraculous things, and we can be encouraged by that. And there will be instances where you are, uh, you are drowning, you feel like you're drowning and you are um, struggling in your faith. You have people next to you to encourage you and to point you back to Jesus. So don't live in isolation. Don't live in a vacuum. Live alongside other believers in Christ as the disciples did. So the great faith of Peter spurred on worship for the rest of them. I think that's such a beautiful thing for us to recognize. And as a church, as Terran of a church, we desire to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we will see him clearer, we will know him better, and we will discover that there's nothing better for us than to worship and to make much of our creator. The Westminster Catechism is one of the more famous documents that we have uh, for the, the big C church, uh, except the Bible, of course. Um, but a, a catechism is a, is a summary of principles that are taught so that we can learn and be instructed in the ways of a Christian. And this is all based on scripture. Um, and the first question of the Westminster Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? Wouldn't our, wouldn't our world love to know that answer? Because it certainly tries really hard to figure out for you. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To worship. That is not a small thing. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is why we live, friends. To worship. It may sound simple. It's not simple. This whole life following after Christ is a messy, confusing thing at times. But our chief end is to make much of and to worship our creator. Whether we do it perfectly or not, like we see in Peter, Jesus is calling us to exercise our faith, to see more clearly who Jesus is to learn about him, and to worship him for that. So the band's going to come up, and we're going to continue on with songs of worship that declare the truths about our God. And so I, I don't want to be cliche here. It may sound a little cliche, but really as you go from this place into various trials of all kinds, 
Know that as you step into those trials, know that he is with you. He loves you. He is taking you into that place so that he can not make you miserable, but to teach you about him. So that the result might be a life that is more passionately in love with Jesus than before. So as we move into communion, let us acknowledge the trial that our Savior endured for us. The hardship that our Savior endured for us by taking our sin upon himself and sacrificing himself on the cross for you and I, he endured such hardship for sinners as you and I out of love. So let's remember that as we take communion and freely accept, freely accept that love and grace that Jesus provides to us.